Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's um, Global Intelligence Update, as we call them, with uh, Sonia Santani from Hong Kong. And Sonia is a, a, an amazing individual. We met uh, probably going on eight years ago. We just worked out now when we we're in Hong Kong running our Entrepreneur X Factor competition, which I believe you won, Sonia, I think, if I remember rightly. You won the That's Hong Kong right. version of that. And I'm not surprised at the time... Um, those of you that uh, are working with us very closely one-on-one -on, -one on the call would know that we're a great uh, proponent of introduction videos and explainer videos. Well, I think, Sonia, yours is still up on YouTube right from right back in 2012 or whenever you filmed it, that particular one, and it's still one of the best um, introduction and explainer videos that I've seen coming out of anybody. And, and uh, what you do is fantastic. At the time we met, you were doing very much the marketing and branding thing with a shift into wellness. But over the last eight years, you've moved very much into the, the wellness area. And just before we got on this call, folks, we were talking about, um, you know, the up and coming industry in Hong Kong, which where Sonia is being based for. How long have you been in Hong Kong? Were you born there? Yes, born and raised here. Yeah, right. So born, so for quite a while now, she's been in Hong Kong. She should know Hong Kong very, very well. Um, and so we're talking about the up and coming industry there, and it really is the, the wellness industry. And uh, Sonia's just been telling us how she's, she's doing this call from a hotel because um, there's renovations going into a building because she's expanding so much and put 123 people through different certification programs in the last little while. So that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you being with us today. Um, it's absolutely fantastic for us to have you. So... I'm going to dig into sort of reinterpreting life because um, just before we were talking uh, and before some of you guys joined the call, Sonia and I were talking about, you know, the work that she does. And I was saying, well, we've hardly had a business conversation with people in the last 12 months. It's been very spiritual. So um, I think a lot of people are dealing with a lot of stuff at the moment. So Sonia, why don't you start off by telling us how does the mind actually work? How does our mind work? And how are the beliefs that we're, we're holding on to so dearly formed in the first place? Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. That was a great introduction. And it's lovely to be here with everybody. And yeah, we are talking about the mind. We're talking about beliefs. And that is such a big thing, such a big topic now, because beliefs is what governs behavior. And mostly what we're looking at is that now we don't want to behave a certain way. People don't want to behave in a way that's anxious or depressed. Uh, they don't want to be doing the habits that they do like nail biting or whatever patterns that you have. And those patterns come from the beliefs and the beliefs come from our mind. So it's useful to understand what the mind is and how it functions. And I'm gonna put this in a real brief nutshell because this is like a one and a half hour topic that I teach it's basically the mind has two parts to it and the mind is not the brain so the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software that's the easiest way that we can think about it because you can touch your brain you can't touch your thoughts and the center of the mind is situated in your gut that's where we get the term gut feeling and that's why nowadays they say they've got a, a brain in your gut now a lot of scientists have sort of come up with this term and we've got two parts to the mind. We have a conscious and a subconscious. And in between, there's a critical filter. So the conscious mind is the part that we use to think, to analyze, to rationalize. And if you're feeling in charge and doing what you want, 
the conscious mind is in charge. So you wanted to come to the Zoom meeting now. Few of you want to write, you want to nod. So it's your conscious mind sending a signal to the brain. The brain is sending the energy to the body. You do what you want. Now, when you're doing something that you don't want to do, the conscious mind has lost the grip of control. Like you have a panic attack, you don't want to, but you do. You explode in anger, you don't want to, but you do. Now, when that happens, the subconscious mind is taking over. And the subconscious mind is that database that just collects data of everything that's ever happened right from when you were in your mother's womb. And that is basically dictating whatever is going on when you are not in charge, when the conscious mind is not in charge. And this is where our beliefs are situated in our subconscious mind. So that's a very brief way of explaining it. I hope that's it's fascinating. No, it's a, it's a good way of explaining. It's fascinating. I just got off a meeting just before this call with uh, somebody who was a, ve- is a very high profile individual. And he was with us last week um, at another meeting that we held where we're allowed to actually hold public meetings now in Cape Town, which is great. Uh, haha, sorry for the uh, Kiwis on the call that are, are there because I know you're still sort of locked down. But um, he was saying that one of the biggest things that he got from the meeting last week, he's, he'd forgotten how people smile. Isn't that incredible? He said, it, he said it blew him away that people were smiling. He said, and he remembered that people smile with their eyes and their full face. And he'd actually forgotten this. And he said, it's been so dehumanizing for him over the last 12 months being you know, locked away and things like that. So that brings me into the way in which we interpret things, Sonia. So what would you say is, is you know, what sort of governs or influences our interpretations? Yeah, our interpretations basically are uh, influenced by S-E-E-R, it's conditioning. So that stands for our social, economic, education and religious inputting, if religion is a part of it. And it's basically our environment. And through those interpretations, we form beliefs. So whenever something happens, basically the mind is storing the fact and the interpretation. So fact could be, I was three years old, I woke up in the morning and nobody was home. Interpretation, I'm abandoned. That has been influenced by everything that I've uh, been conditioned to earlier. Now that I'm abandoned is your initial interpretation. And through that, you make a conclusion. The conclusion could be, I can't trust anybody. Now, anytime you make the same interpretation thrice, three times, it translates into a belief. So something else completely different could happen. You interpret, I'm abandoned, I can't trust. Something else could happen. You could be bullied in school or your best friend does something or she said something, she did something different. Same interpretation, I can't trust. Now that becomes a belief and it's in the subconscious mind, which is 6,000 times more powerful. And basically that becomes the lens. So everywhere we look, we're looking for, I can't trust, I can't trust. This one's abandoning me. That one's abandoning me. And this is how basically our interpretations are just governing our entire life experience. That's Yeah. And I would definitely say I've been a, a victim, if you like, to that because you know, my father and mother got divorced. So when I was like six years old, so there's the first abandonment. Then my mother died when I was 15. There's the second abandonment. And then my first girlfriend dumped me when I was like 17. So there's, there's my third abandonment. And, and, and by that stage, I mean, I realized uh, through life, I always expect to 
having to end up having to do things by myself. So I've, I've pretty much overcome that now, but it became very apparent to me in the last 10 or 15 years that that, that was an issue that went right back and triggered um, all the way back uh, from, from those eras there. And I think Lady was explaining to a group of people last week at the meeting we have that it, it, takes, it doesn't take a long time to create an imprint in the mind. For instance, she was explaining that uh, when she was seven years old, she was running across a sports field and a boy held out his leg and tripped her over and she fell on her face in the mud and everybody laughed. So she had that imprint right from then, that, that lack of trust, that almost how could anybody do that and humiliate another person like that? So that imprint was there. But I'm interested to unpack with you, what are some of the key factors that create these type of issues in our lives that we really get stuck with. And, you know, everybody on this call, we've got people on this call from Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, Hong Kong, of course, Ireland's normally on the call. So uh, from, you know, at least five or six different countries on the call, but we're all impacted by certain things that just seem to lock onto us and just go with us. They're like that piece of paper that you, that sticks to the front of your car when you're on the freeway and just won't come off, doesn't matter what you do. What, what are some of the key issues there, Sonia, that cause that? Yeah, I, I love your terminology of the imprint because that's exactly what it is. And as a therapist, we use the terminology inner child. I don't know whether people may have heard this term and there's lots of different interpretations of what is an inner child. So some people think we have only one inner child and some people think, oh, a child is like below 18. Actually, an inner child is any version of you that is stuck in a trauma of the past, as you were saying, Mike, and has not grown up. So yeah. if you fell down and you had your face in the mud, that's an inner child. If you right. were in school and you were asked to say poetry and you froze and you were in trauma, that becomes an inner child. And so in that moment, if you are feeling anything other than acceptance, you're creating an imprint of trauma because trauma comes from judgment. And the biggest judgment is it's not supposed to be like this. So if we think, oh my God, it's not supposed to be like this. People are not supposed to look at me like this. I was not supposed to fall down. I was not supposed to stammer. Then that begins more of the self-criticism and that begins to have more of the judgment. And so you have those interpretations that produces another conclusion, like some sort of, I can't trust anyone, I'm not wanted, I'm not loved. The emotion that we feel is trapped inside our body because we're not allowing it to move through us. Then we develop a coping mechanism. So a coping mechanism to deal with it, which keeps that emotion even more locked within. And there's three types of coping mechanisms that we tend to develop. And we've used all of them. So either we're gonna be the pleasers and we'll ask someone, you know, please like me, I'm gonna be the good girl, good boy, I'll do what you like, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Or we'll say, forget all that, I'll show you. I'm not gonna be the pleaser. I'm not gonna do what I'm supposed to do. So that's the rebel. Or you're going to fly away and withdraw yourself and do nothing. So that's kind of like the withdrawal. So we'll be the pleaser, the rebel, the withdraw artist, and we'll probably try all of them and maybe be sort of an expert in one of those areas. So that's what happens when we have those imprints, that it gets sealed into our space in that coping mechanism. 
And then it takes time. So either you will do through meditation or through a deep process with a therapist to unravel. Unravel the interpretation that's been trapped within. So it's sort of like um, if you've read the Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield, I mean, he talks about people's control dramas. So my control drama, the way I control people, and some of these people on this call know this, is that I'm aloof, right? So I sort of sort of go, yeah, whatever. And, and I don't, you know, I sort of hang out to the side and I'm not really necessarily engaged. That's an aloof control drama. Whereas um, uh, other people have the poor me. They're, they go into the victim. Oh, poor me. Why does this always happen to me? Why do I always get the flat tire? Then the other people are the interrogators. So they, they, their control drama is to constantly ask questions and deeper questions and, and, and get to it. So what you're saying to me seems like that type of model in that this is not like there's a thousand things out there that this can trigger and you've got to solve a thousand problems that you can quickly establish through working with a therapist or somebody with those type of skills, um, you know, that your imprints, if you like, may have taken you into having a sort of personality that where you become a pleaser. And, you know, the world's full of pleasers these days and a lot of them are in business for themselves. And, uh, and we talk about that a lot or that they go into one of the other types. Would, would you agree with that? And how many are there in total? Yeah, I would, um, because our identity is an amalgamation of these different coping mechanisms. So we become the one that should do what I'm supposed to do, the pleaser, or we become the one that is, you know, going against the norm. And that becomes our identity or our ego. And we, again, see the world through that filter, see the world through the pleaser filter or the withdrawal, like your aloof category, I would put that under the withdrawal. So I'm going to yeah. pretend that it doesn't matter or I'm gonna go numb about it and not feel anything and not do anything. So we can even put this in very simple flight and fight. We know that this, uh, anytime there's crisis, the subconscious mind wants to fight or flight. And previous days in when we were primitive man, that would be literal. We would run or we would actually fight. Now it occurs differently. So fighting is being there, doing something about it. So I would put the pleaser and the rebel both as fight, two different expressions. And then the avoider as actually pretending it's not there, running away from it, flying away yeah. mentally, physically there, but mentally just not there at all. And the avoider would also, because in fight and flight, there's a, a third category. And I learned this off my friend, Glenn Levy, who you met, because he was in Hong Kong with me um, when, we, when we met up. But um, the third one is freeze. And, you know, he'll, he uses the example of, you know, a bear runs out from the forest and starts going, ah, ah, ah. the first thing you don't do is fight or flight. The first thing you do is go and you freeze. Yeah. So that's, that's almost, but, and then you make some sort of decision. Will I fight this sucker or, or will I, or will I run away? That's sort of almost um, the avoider type strategy. Would that be right? Yes. Something like that. And, and when you're freezing, as you said, you're in shock. And where, when we're in any type of shock, you're already losing consciousness. So you're mm. not present. So whatever decision you make to fight or flight after the freeze is not a conscious decision because the conscious mind has gone in shock. And that's why it becomes such an innate subconscious response. Yes, that's exactly how it works. And Sonia, I'm really interested in your opinion on this because I think we're at the precipice of unpacking something here because with COVID going around the world as it has done in the last 12 months, people have gone into shock. 
And so therefore, because they've gone into shock and a part of the reasons they've gone into shock is our freedoms being taken away, you know, um, the, the things that we held dear, just going to our local cafe for a cup of coffee, we can't do anymore. So, you know, it's basically cut our most basic human rights. So we've gone into shock, which literally means that we're less present. And so with that less presence means that we're missing opportunities, we're not fulfilling on things that we should, we're not um, present to our loved ones as much as we should be, and, and therefore our relationships are breaking down. Do you have any sort of comment on that and, and even how to get back into presence a little bit more given what's going on in the world in the last 18 months? Yeah, I mean, COVID is like such a teacher for us. Like, I kind of look at it almost like this avatar that's come here to teach us things. And one of those things is, you know what? We can't plan. We were here living under the illusion that, oh, I can plan and life looks like this. And then you get COVID coming here going, ah, oh, sorry. You know, we've got other things in store for you. And a lot of us have looked at that and been shocked about it and found it difficult to move forward because we have linked survival with control because we feel much more comfortable when we're in charge. We feel much more comfortable when we know what's going to happen. And what I don't know scares me because I don't know how to control it. And so what's missing in this whole phenomenon is the quality of peace, uh, sorry, of faith, because faith and fear cannot coexist. You know, if you have fear, you don't have trust and faith. And if you have faith at that moment, fear is not there. And we've kind of put fear so much on the outside. So I, I, I grew up needing to trust that my plans need to go into fruition. Then I'm okay. The people need to like me. Then I'm okay. This needs to happen. Then I'm okay. So our faith and trust was needed to be on the outside. Whereas now COVID is showing us, no, sorry. The result is not in your hands. You're not 100% control over that. The environment is not in your hands. Other people, school, homeschooling, flights, nothing. And so then the only faith that is available is faith in self. Faith that I can handle it. Faith that, okay, life is showing me something. And perhaps I do have the tools and resources to be with that. And once we finally start looking inwards and start asking those questions, it's there. And when we don't look inwards, then we'll continue, as you said, to be in shock, to be the victims, because we're going to buy into that illusion that I spoke about earlier, that it was not supposed to happen. So COVID is not supposed to happen. Schools are not supposed to close. Flights are not supposed to vanish and not be there. And so once the more we're stuck into that, the more we will end up being victims. So how to deal with it, you were asking, is to acknowledge, and it's so simple actually, but not necessarily easy because we're not uh, good at acknowledging and accepting. And we also don't even know what accepting means because a lot of us think that accepting means thinking something is good. And that is also judgment. So if you think something is good, you're judging just like you think it's bad or it's not supposed to be. They're both judgments or you think accepting is, oh, I can't do anything about it. I have to accept. And that's being helpless. That's resigned. And that's not accepting either. So accepting is really the art of being with what is. That's it. 
And that's why mindfulness is getting so popular. And that is the only thing that we can do because there's, we can't change it. It's not in our control. It's not something that we have 100% control over. So acknowledge and practice the art of being with what's so. And then there's a lot of peace that's available after that. It's, as I said, it's simple, it's deep. It's not necessarily easy for so many people. No, and so many people are sort of facing that these days. And, uh, and you know, there's people on this call that I've had those type of discussions with that are really in a position where um, they've really come to terms with the fact that uh, the only thing they can manage is their own self-energy and they've taken the deep journey within. And, and honestly, there's a lot of people on this call that I look at the names here, which I know from uh, whose businesses are flourishing, COVID, Schmovid. And it's because, not because COVID's helped them, but COVID's helped them actually go inside and solve a lot of the issues. I love what Philippe's written in the chat. He says, Einstein said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. So, I mean, that really is, is a statement of your perception is, is everything. And the funny thing is, Sonia, is that, you know, you're saying the same words and I'm hearing them. But everybody's hearing them differently and their own interpretation of those words is, is very, very different. I want to move on and ask, what are the probably the, let's, let's stick with three, what are the top three things that you think people are dealing with at the moment generally? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, one is probably the fear of the unknown. And I think that's the top, that's the key one. Second would be their responses to it. And a big response is anxiety because anxiety is a fear of the future. So if I don't know what's going to happen, I'm gonna be anxious about it. Um, and the third is related to their coping mechanism about it. So their coping mechanisms can produce other problems because they're not actually resolving anything, it's covering a hole. So the coping mechanisms can be addiction, it can be explosive personality, it can be losing connection and withdrawing into my own space. And so they're all three of them are connected. And I would say that is what I'm seeing most in my clients, in my sessions. And it all boils down to, again, the fear of the unknown, which actually is a really innate fear. It's a subconscious fear. And it's one yeah. of the, I think the big things that we're here to master. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think this is a really good point. And um, it'd be interesting. Am I freezing again? again? Uh, yeah, we are. We both are. Oh no, Ian's, Ian's shaking his head. So we're not freezing. We're not freezing in Johannesburg. So that's a that's a good thing. But <laughs> <laughs> but we could be freezing in Paraguay. Who knows? Um, the fear of the unknown is one of the innate things that we've come here to conquer. And it's so true uh, because shadows are much more scary than somebody standing there, you know, with a knife in many respects, um, because we conjure up all sorts of things about that. Um, and uh, Philippe's saying, I've got a few acquaintances that are drinking more than they should as a coping uh, mechanism. And, and so that is a coping mechanism. And, and uh, you know, we had... We had one of our suppliers, and I won't say who it is. We don't have many suppliers in the business we're in, but, you know, one of our suppliers who Lundy was chasing, saying, listen, you're just not delivering, said, sorry, I'm, 
I've been on drugs for the last year. Like he literally came out and told us that. And we're like, oh, okay. What are we meant to do with that information? But, you know, that's a, that's a coping thing. So um, what would be one or two of your really useful tips? Because I think there's, there'll be people on this call who are experiencing fear of the unknown. And there's people who, you know, we've got a number of clients. I'm not sure if any of you are on this call. I haven't checked who were in the travel industry. That doesn't exist anymore. In mm. fact, we had lunch with one of them yesterday um, who's moving to Asia now to go into something entirely different. So, and they're actually excited about the unknown and excited about what's coming next after having a business for 12 years. It was incredibly profitable and these days is, is not making a cent. So um, I'm interested to get your opinion on, on the fear of the unknown and what we can do about it. Yeah, um, so this fear is going to be there. But what we can do is we can flip what the unknown is about. So basically people come with three types of issues, an issue that they have with themselves, with another person or a situation. And every issue can come under this. It's one or a combination of. Now, what happens is that if it's me, you feel guilty. If it's another person, you feel angry. If it's a situation, you feel helpless if it's already happened and anxious if it's going to happen. Now, from all of these three categories, the only thing we have full control over is me. Others and situation, you don't have full yep. control over. And when we try to control other and the situation, you lose control over yourself. And that's how so many of us live. And especially those quote unquote control freaks, right? What they're doing is controlling the environment, controlling other people, controlling other people's responses, and then losing control over themselves. And so if we flip it, that means that we can create known and reference points in self because you know yourself. You know your thoughts, you know your feelings, you know what actions you're gonna take. So you can create known ref reference points about yourself and start viewing that as something that you can be comfortable with because it is 100% under your control. And through that, you'll have a different lens of looking at the other and the situation because you can't ever have full control over them and it will continue to be on the unknown. But if you can make your responses known, it makes it much more comfortable. That even if the outside and other people, they're the unknown, I can't control them. Though my response would be that I know at the end of the day, I have the resources. I know I can control my actions. I know that even if I feel an emotion that I don't mean to feel, I can allow myself to go through it without shooting myself, judging myself, and then curbing that emotion. So it's about just flipping that reference point. And that's the best thing that I think we can do. Mm, very good. Well said. Ian says here, research on women waiting for breast cancer test results experience higher anxiety than those who actually uh, tested positive for breast cancer. So there's more anxiety waiting for the result than there is when you get the result and you've actually you know, got the cancer. So Fascinating stuff. You talked about um, anxiety before, which is really the fear of the future and depression's regret from the past. Um, so they're, they're very clear and it's very clear to see immediately if somebody's either depressed or anxious and, and those, uh, those type of things. But um, let's unpack that a little bit more. How do we know 
And that, so I'll use myself as an example. It wasn't till five years ago that I realized that I suffered from anxiety. So I've, I've gone through my whole life having anxiety at certain times during my corporate career, it's high blood pressure and all those sort of things that have come from it. And so, but I, I realized it wasn't until Landy said to me, because her background's in psychology, said to me, you've got anxiety. And it was actually when we were in Europe, and I have incredible anxiety around Italian um, toll gates on the freeway because in 2001, I got stuck there with putting my credit card in and having my credit card swallowed. I see Robert laughing there because he's probably experienced the same. Having my credit card swallowed and I have 60 angry Italians, including truck drivers, literally abusing me in, in Italian behind me, which I don't speak. And I realize every time now when I come up to a toll gate anywhere in Europe, I, I never do the credit card one. I always do the cash only one where I can actually give money to a person. And Landy literally hands me the cash and I literally have passed the cash over or else if I have to do it myself, I'm sort of like this. So I, I, I get that, but I never saw it before. And mm. it's really interesting because my ex-business partner who, who you know, Sonia, used to say to me, why do you get so upset when you're setting up a room for an event? It's because I can't control the AV. That, that's what it is. So I get anxious about it. So I'm like all constantly resetting rooms and I'm in there at seven in the morning testing the AV and stuff like that. So we've all got our thing. So I'm interested to see how people can identify these things in themselves so that they can know what they're dealing with. And then secondly, what are some of the ways that you would um, help and assist them as a professional to maybe deal with you know, becoming a bit more depressed or being uh, or recognizing they've got some anxiety. Mm, yeah, and I, I love that you share your story because it's so much easier to work with specifics than general. Um, and there's different types of anxiety, like yours is something you've experienced in the past. So you've experienced going through that toll and it was disastrous. So you don't want that to happen again. And there are some people that are anxious about something that's never actually happened. But what if? Right. So those are two different things. Mm. And since yours has happened now, this could be an imprint that we were talking about earlier. That means there could be some part of your consciousness that is stuck in that moment where it happened before. And now the moment you see that toll, it's a trigger. It wakes up that file in your subconscious and that mic of how many ever years ago is going 20, no, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. It's hijacking your body and it's completely hijacked you. And you're thinking, no, can't let that happen again. So in that specific case, if there's something that has happened before, we basically do an inner child healing work where we will get you to go back to that 20 year old younger than you, Mike, and show him something that he doesn't know. You know, but he doesn't know. And that's simply that it's over. You are not stuck with horns behind you and people shouting and swearing and screaming because that part of your consciousness could still be there. And it could still be frozen in that mode. And so we pull that consciousness out and finally have that part of you grow up to the age of today. And that is part of the inner child work. Mm, the other good. thing that I, yeah, yeah. And as I'm saying it, it's already beginning to happen because I'm kind of doing a little bit of action and to listen, your mind needs to paint a picture because the subconscious mind thinks in images and the conscious mind thinks in language. So the moment you're imagining something, already the healing is happening. Yeah. And you can perhaps do this later if you like. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's very um, good. And I'm definitely not, in, in terms of that, I'm definitely not as, um, as panicky as what I was the first time we started traveling to Europe, uh, um, you know, and going through those toll gates. And, and it's interesting because uh, Shazar says here, it's like going through the emotion rather than the thought controlling my emotions. That's true. And guys, you just picked up there that Sonia actually told me to grow up. So I'll take that on board as well. Now, <laughs> now Sonia, let's look at let's look at um, let's look at the other side of the coin. Let's look at depression. Now, that's that's something I've never suffered from. So I can't give you an example. Maybe you've got one from a client that you could share, and some of the work that you did to to because I'm interested in. People that have blind spots and those blind spots are that, you know, I went through most of my life thinking I wasn't an anxious person until I realized it. And then I saw all the instances where it's cropped up in, in, in my life. And, and when I listen to you there, um, I go, oh, I, I know why I get anxious around AV because, you know, I've done 2,300 events and in probably 500 of them, the AV sucked. So, you know, that's why I got anxious about AV. So I, I, I understand that. I can, I can sort of position that, which is why we bring our, our own AV now. But let's move into the depression side. Maybe you've got some things that you can help people identify some patterns or something like that. Yeah, sure. And, you know, people kind of use this word depression quite flippantly. And so if someone says, oh, I'm so depressed, and yet you know that they're taking a shower, they're eating food, they can do their normal day-to-day -day activities, they're not clinically depressed. They're probably sad. And we honor that. We're not saying that they're lying in any way, but that's not clinical depression. Now, depression, the root of it comes from a sense of loss. That's actually where it comes from way in the background. And that could be a tangible or an intangible loss. So it could be actually losing a person, okay? a relationship, someone passed away, or it could be losing your identity, losing your job, which is why depression is so prevalent nowadays because people are facing so much loss. And then there's a hole in the system and you don't know what to do about that hole. So depression is a typical flight coping mechanism. Your consciousness has just left the body. And if you see somebody that's actually clinically depressed, it is hard for them to even focus on you, on what you're saying. It's difficult for them to take a shower. They tend to just sit down and they have hypersomnia or insomnia. They're either sleeping all the time or not sleeping. And they are not able to function day to day because they feel that immense sense of loss. Now, if I go to this more philosophically, if I go to this a little bit deeper, now we can't lose anything except for our own consciousness, actually, because we bought into the illusion that, oh, I'm, I'm with someone and they complete me. My relationship completes me, my father, my mother, my job, something else completes me. So that attachment is an illusion that we bought into, that this becomes part of my identity. And once that's gone, I've lost that part of myself. Whereas actually that was never you in the first place because we are born whole and complete. And actually sometimes I say, by the time you're born, it's too late because issues can happen in the womb. So when you're conceived, <laughs> you're whole and complete at that point. And then every time there is a trauma, it's as if there's part of your consciousness that gets stuck in that moment. And as a coping mechanism, you could attach yourself to something. 
And huge attachments, if you lose them, produce huge losses. And this is what can lead to depression. So the ultimate healing is to get back that part of you that you lost in your attachment to whatever you perceive is gone. That's the, the deeper sense of it. But mm. if you're dealing with someone who is depressed, they're not ready for that yet. They're not ready to mm. even hear that because this is way too deep. For them, taking a shower is a big deal. So if you're with someone that is depressed, then just minimal physical activities is the way to go. So if you can go down and take a walk, just you know, a few steps down the building and back, that is a huge achievement. So we start with baby steps and then you know, slowly bring back consciousness in the body to then be able to work on what's, what's gone. Yeah, really, really good sense. answer. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you know a good friend of mine, Don Tolman, and Don Don's a um, you know one of the world's leading people in natural uh, healing and whole foods and things like that. And he says it basically comes down to to seven things. You know, you've got to have high quality air. You know, whole foods, good quality water. You know, good sleep, some exercise, non toxic relationships and passion in your life. And he says, actually having passion in your life overcomes, you know, you can eat a lot of hamburgers if you've got passion in your life and you'll still probably live a long life. But in relation to what you're saying, he says, um, and I've heard him say this a number of times because I've worked with him for many, many years. Um, He said, if you ever feel slightly depressed, and I'm not talking about the level that you're, you're talking about, if you're feeling really down, just go for a walk. It's actually impossible to feel depressed while you're walking. It's there's something inside your body and I've tried it. I promise you on lousy days, I've done it. And he's right. It's actually impossible to feel bad when you're actually going for a walk, even if you just walk around the block. So I think that was really great advice. I wanna pick up something with you that, um, that I think I'm seeing more and more with people these days and that is people getting triggered. And you know, we're in a society right at the moment where, you know, we've been locked up. So we're a bit more anxious. We're a bit more angry at things and everything like that. So we're looking for excuses, some of us, to, to get triggered. You know, the phone company does, sends us the wrong bill or a plumber doesn't turn up on time or some other damn thing happens and it triggers us. So what can we do to really bring ourselves back to center emotionally to remove these triggers. And I guarantee you there'll be people on this call that are going, yeah, I found myself more triggered in the last six months and maybe in the last five years together. So have you had any experience with that? Yeah. And triggers are basically, in my words, it's kind of getting hijacked where your conscious mind is not in charge anymore. So something else is taking over. And in the moment of trigger, it's too late. So if you really want to do something about it, the preventative, it needs to be before. And that's where you do your rituals, your night rituals, your morning rituals, your priming rituals. In the moment of trigger, the best thing you can do is to acknowledge and breathe through it. So you're not pretending, you're not getting hijacked, you're not coping. You take a moment to yourself and you acknowledge, yes, I accept, I am angry, I am sad, I'm hijacked by something. What what happens then is the emotion is already felt. Like if someone says to you, don't be angry and you're angry, it's actually not very helpful at all, 
right? So the anger doesn't go just like this. It just gets suppressed or it explodes. So if you kind of acknowledge and admit I'm angry, what you're gonna do is allow the emotion to go through you like a wave, which is what emotions are supposed to do anyway. Because the nature of emotion is that it's a transient experience of life. That's why they call it E-motion, energy in motion. So it's supposed to kind of motion through you. And if you accept that you're feeling something and you breathe through it, you'll find that there is a beginning, a middle and an end, then you're gonna feel something else and it's actually over. And a lot of people say that, give it 90 seconds. It's not even that long. You're feeling something, feel it fully. Now, feel it fully doesn't mean please go beat someone up or bash someone up. It's about the acknowledgement of it, right? It's, and breath is such an important tool for this because through our breath, we can allow or we can curb. Yeah, someone said, let it pass. It is yep. exactly that. It is let it pass, allow. Allow ourselves to go through it. And that is in the moment of trigger. To prevent it, as I said earlier, um, a really useful exercise would be a night review just before going to bed. Because just before you sleep, the subconscious mind gets updated. And obviously, it gets updated regularly. That's why it contains everything that's happened in your life. So in the dreams is when the subconscious mind gets updated with information. So let's say if something happened, you felt very angry. In your dream, that anger will go into your subconscious mind. But what if you release your anger before you sleep? So now you're gonna have the same event. I had a fight with my best friend, let's say, but you're gonna input that in your subconscious mind without the emotional charge of anger. So it's really useful before sleeping to do a daily review, to check the emotions that you have that you've not fully completed yet. And then use your breath to allow yourself to just complete that, to allow it to go through. And then when you sleep, the events will go in without that toxicity of those emotions that are still unresolved. Yeah, and I can't tell you in the last year how many, <clears throat> how many sessions Landy and I have done with people on dream interpretation. It's becoming a, a, a much bigger thing than, than ever before because of uh, some of the things you've said. And uh, um, we've got JC saying she loves, uh, they loved the idea of the night review there. Thanks again. Heather says the awareness that the emotion is energy and witness it without attachment is important. And Shazara, I just want to acknowledge um, you saying before toxic load in the system can contribute hugely to depression and baby steps is the, is the way to go. Uh, Sonia, um, let me pick up uh, one other thing. Oh, this one. I've got a couple more questions and then I just want to throw it open for anybody else who wants to, wants to jump in and ask a, a couple of questions for, for you. Tell us about... Um, this whole, oh, I must be positive, right? And people stand there in front of the mirror and they do their affirmations. I am positive. I am positive. I am positive. So I know that we've got a client in New Zealand who said he trained himself to be so positive that he was so positive that he was depressed and couldn't get out of bed, that it would fix itself. And he didn't get out of bed for a month. But every time he was in bed, he's going, I'm really positive that this is going to work out for me. You know, so what, what, what have you got to say about this whole positivity movement? I love that. I love that example. Because the more you say you are positive, the more you're affirming that negative exists. And right. this is 
really going back to a, a huge fundamental law of Earth. And you know, we know that we're here on this planet and one of the most fundamental things we have on this planet, which maybe we don't have on other planets, is duality. So here we have everything that exists in duality. And the more we're saying positive, positive doesn't mean anything if not in comparison to negative. Just like up doesn't mean anything if there wasn't a down. So the more we're saying positive, 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 in order to experience that in your mind, you're already creating the reference point of negative. And so you will oscillate between the two, that it will happen. And because we're living in duality, we will experience both. And I think that's another illusion that a lot of people are living in and oh, I'm only supposed to be happy. I'm only supposed to be positive. No. You know, we're here to experience a spectrum of emotions. And if we're looking at it without judgment, that is the key. So if you can look at both anger and excitement, and you can look at both with acceptance, you get peace. Now, peace is outside of positive and negative. It's outside of happy and sad. You can be peace while you're happy, and you can be at peace while you're sad. You can be at peace in both ways. So I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as the species on earth is to be able to live in duality with the mindset of beyond duality, of oneness. So if we can see it from a different perspective, then we're not going to oscillate between elation, depression, elation, depression, elation, depression. And we will go through that with awareness. So yeah, I think this be positive, be positive, be happy, be happy is the root cause of unhappiness, actually, which is exactly what you said with the, that guy being positively depressed. Yeah, Philippe says here, watch Inside Out from Pixar. He's got a link there on IMDb, um, Joy and Sadness. So uh, that's, that's a good one for people to have a look at, uh, Philippe. Thank you so much for that. And you know, this, this is something, uh, Sonia, that the ancient Egyptians just knew and understood so much is that, you know, they talk about the, the, the 12 hours of the duet, which means duality. And, and it comes from the, the papyrus of Ani where the, uh, the Pharaoh dies and he goes into the cave of Sobek, the crocodile god. And Sobek is like the, the, the eternal darkness. And they're in there, they find um, they have to go through all these trials and tribulations. And it's a step by step, like there's one trial per hour and the darkest hours always before the dawn. And then when you, when you dawn, you're rebirthed. So we should actually welcome this because it's no different than spring, summer, autumn, winter. We have winter in our lives. And sometimes those winters are a day. Sometimes they're a week. Sometimes they can be months on end. But outside of that winter, guess what comes after winter is spring. So, you know, if you're in winter in your life, you should be going, wow, this is cool because there's a really cool spring coming up next. Let's look, at, um, let's look at the way that, and you're sort of touching on this now, but let's look at the way we can reinterpret what's going on in our life from a, a very conscious viewpoint. And uh, do you have any uh, comments or anything you'd like to share on reinterpreting things that happen to us or with us? Yeah, I, I think the whole crux of whatever I've said so far is access to reinterpretation. And the reinterpret is basically looking at whatever we've judged through the lens of acceptance, because whatever we've judged will be with duality, the lens of duality. 
it's wrong, it's not supposed to be, it's bad. Oh, look, it's good, it's nice, it's the way it's supposed to be. Now, either way, we're gonna jump into those polarities. And to reinterpret life with the lens of, I accept, which is almost like the way that it is, is supposed to be. Now, what can I learn? It's, it's a huge question. And sometimes it's, as I said, it's not easy, it's simple. So COVID for some people, the way that it is, is supposed to be. Now, what can I learn? Now, we were just talking about seasons, right? So winter is the ending of a cycle and spring is the beginning. And so if we're not interpreting ending with loss, like that which leads to depression, then the ending is the way that it's supposed to be. It's supposed to end. The beginning is again, what the way it's supposed to be. You know, I, I do a lot of work in past life. I know some people may not believe in it. I'm going out on a limb and just naming that. So I do past well, you're, life. You're in a pretty friendly audience with that one. Okay, great. Um, and I love it. So I've seen about, you know, almost 200 of my own past lives. I'm a therapist. And I often lead people through a process called LBL, which is life between lives. So when you hmm. finish one life and before you're born again, what happens? It's the interlife. We call that the interlife period. And in that interlife, something has ended and something else hasn't begun yet. It's almost like you're planning. From my perspective, I think that's where we are at now in consciousness. Yeah. Like with COVID, something has ended in the way that we used to work in our mindset. And something has not begun yet. The spring is not here yet. We're actually in an interlife. And it's a beautiful place to be because in that interlife, you choose. You choose what the next life is going to be about. You know, you choose which father, which mother, what purpose, what am I going to do? What are the lessons? And now it's time for like great choice if we choose to look at it that way. Oh, I love what you said. And I think it's, uh, it's spot on. I think you re that really resonates with me personally because, um, you know, I studied all the Mayan prophecies and everything like that. And, and, you know, everybody thought the end of the world was 2012, December 21st, 2012. But, but really, um, it's very biblical in many respects. And, and if you look at the rapture in the Bible and, and what happens there where people have to choose which side they're on. Am I going with the Antichrist or am I going with God? You know, that's basically the story. But I think that's very applicable um, to what's going on in society at the moment is that you have to make a choice. Am I going to, am I going to get the jab? Am I going to just uh, allow the politicians to tell me I can be locked up or am I going to find another way to do it? It's, it's really, this is, a, this is a crucial position. And strangely enough, the Mayan calendar was around about seven years out. So we're not far off. Um, what the Mayan calendar actually yes. said in terms of birthing into the age of consciousness. And it was only, uh, was it earlier this year or late last year? No, it was November last year. We actually did shift into the age of Aquarius when Jupiter and Saturn aligned. So we literally shifted into that real age of consciousness. But with that consciousness, which is my last question for you um, as well, comes the fact that we have to be accountable for our conscious choices as a soul in this life. So I want to ask you about consciousness and about the role of becoming more conscious, because I guess in the work that you do, that's one of the outcomes of working with you is that you get people to become literally more conscious. So um, is there anything you want to speak to on that? 
Yeah. And basically when we're saying more conscious, it's becoming more aware and it is becoming more aware of what we previously judged, becoming aware of why we behave the way that we do, becoming aware of what's the purpose of my life. And I think if we move away from taking decisions from emotions and we move towards taking decisions from wisdom, that's living more consciously. Because as I said, emotions are transient. So even if you take a decision from love, which is an emotion, you know, we're not loving to the same person all the time. I'm sure some of times you wanted to kill the person you love, okay? In that moment, you're not very loving in that moment. So decisions taken from emotions usually don't yield long-term results. Decisions taken from wisdom is what brings awareness and consciousness. And that's where we use our discernment. We allow ourselves to feel our emotions, but our decisions are not taken from the fear or the anger or the excitement because that ends up being in haste. So that for me is living more consciously. Yeah, very good. Uh, Sonia, I would just firstly, before we just go over to questions, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And I think, you know, I want to congratulate you on your success. Uh, most people in in the well-being space um, are struggling to build small practices out of their homes and that, whereas uh, you're in one of the most expensive cities in the world, you're putting an extra floor in your office building, you've got people coming left, right and centre that are joining your your movement, which is what it really is, and, and your way of seeing the world very, very consciously. And, and uh, you know, I, I, for one, really have always admired what you do, even though it's been from afar. So I really want to thank you for that. Um, people are asking to drop uh, drop a link to find Sonia. So we'll we'll definitely do that. And we'll put it underneath the, um, the recordings when they go up on our different sites as well. Or Sonia, if you want to um, give us a, a web address or something, I'll type it in for people or you can type it in. Oh, I can, I can give you one that's my personal and one that is my wellness center. So you've got soniasantani.com and the All About You Center, which is just perfect. Um, so folks, uh, I'll say goodbye to the people on the recording here. Bye-bye, everybody on the recording. Thanks for listening. And then... <clears throat>